0: Episode 26, the Amateur Radio Podcast, Time. we got a lot of great stuff you're going to enjoy. Like what? Oh, how about Dayton 2015, Hamvention, Man on the Street, coming up.
1: AmateurRadio15.com
2: presents Time, the other ham radio podcast. Sponsored by Main Trading Company. Find them online at mtcradio.com. Now, here's your host, Kale Nelson,
3: K4CDN.
0: So the Hamvention has closed, and I'm going to date the episode. It's the 18th of May, 2015. I'm Kale, your host, K4CDN. I'm in the shack, and it's hot in South Carolina already. I understand it was pretty hot and muggy this past weekend up at the Dayton Hamvention in Dayton, Ohio. Now, how do we know that? Well, our dear friend Jeremy, KF7IJZ, spent his three-day weekend there on site, at the Dayton Hamvention, and we're going to share with you some of his man-on-the-street interview material coming up in just a couple of minutes. Not only was Jeremy there, our friends from Paris, Texas drove up around 900-plus miles to make the trip. They set up their booth, and according to Richard, they sold more radios than they've ever sold in their history. We'll hear from him in a few minutes, but uh, don't forget, they didn't sell them all, and they've got some for you. If you need some gear, they're home now. They're back from Dayton and ready to hit the ground rolling. You can find them at mtcradio.com, mtcradio.com, and remember to let them know that you heard about them here on FOTY. All right, so Jeremy, share with us what's going on at the Dayton Hamvention 2015.
1: All right, folks, this is Jeremy KF7IJZ coming to you from the Ball Arena at the Daytona Hamvention 2015. The lines were long this morning to get into the flea market. We had a little bit of rain. Lines were long to get into the arena, and the activity is hopping. Let's run around and see who we can talk to. All right, folks, this is Jeremy KF7IJZ coming to you from the Sierra Radio Systems booth with George KJ6VU. I got that right. I always forget your call sign. It's the J's and the Sixes. So we're just here at the start of Dayton 2015. How are things going so far?
4: Hey Jeremy. uh, Things are really good. It's a big crowd as usual. Last night we started out at the uh, FDIM QRP event uh, in their vendor night. We set up our new Pactena also. Showed it off, had a lot of interest, so a lot of people there. And I'm sure today it's going to be really crowded as usual.
1: Wonderful. So were you there when Ellacraft made their big announcement?
4: No, I didn't see it. I heard about it on the email reflector and I emailed Wayne and I said before the announcement, hey, what's the new announcement? And of course, his response was, tune in on Thursday.
1: <laughs> A lot of vendors do that. So uh, I know you're going to be busy here at the booth with this and also with the new Pac Tenno with Nick N3WG. But what are you hoping to get out of the booth and go see while you're at Dayton?
4: Um, for me, I think the thing I want to see is uh, what the uptake is on the new digital modes, looking at C4FM radios, looking at what's new in D Star. Uh, maybe the DMR. I don't have DMR equipment, so it's interesting to see where that's going. Um, and of course, I'm real interested in the portable QRP stuff. I'm going to take a good look at some of the CW keys by Kenton and Begali. Uh, I want to check out some of the high-end keys and see what they're like.
1: Yeah, there's a, there's another vendor here, and I forget their name, that has really awesome QR, like QRP portable keys uh, that's usually a couple aisles over from Begali. I recommend you check out. It's like N3ZP or something like that. Uh, But they make really good stuff. And what I like about them is you can get them in the Iron Man paint scheme, which, okay, that's not important to performance, but it looks cool. Well, I wish you guys luck, and uh, we'll check in with you later to see how the Pac-10 interest is going. Okay, great. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks. All right, I'm here at the Yesu booth with Chris N0CSW from Yesu talking about System Fusion. Chris, how has the response with System Fusion been since you guys have released it?
5: Uh, We've had a lot more growth than expected. Um, I can't actually say the numbers right at the moment, but uh, we have just around a a little bit over 2,000 repeaters on the market.
1: That is amazing. I know you guys uh, were pretty smart in releasing repeaters and making the infrastructure more affordable at the get-go, and I know a lot of people that took advantage of that, and I'm excited. I have my first Fusion Radio on me now. Um, I understand you guys are releasing a new handheld and a new mobile this year at Dayton.
5: Uh, Yes, we got the FT2DR, which is the world's first touchscreen handheld. And we also have the ftm 100 uh, DR, which is a single receiver version of the 400, which also has a dot matrix monochromatic display on it. So it doesn't have the color screen. It's a little bit cheaper because it has a single receiver in it, but there's still some innovative features on it, uh, some new features that are revolutionary to the market. So we're, we're very proud of every radio that we release. We keep putting something in it that nobody else has, like touchscreens, uh, LED indicators that ind- indicate either digital or analog. There's always going to be something in the Yaesu radio that's going to be very innovative.
1: Very good. Now, is the 100 still going to be have APRS on board?
5: It does have APRS, so the full suite of analog features are in there as well as C4FM Digital.
1: Well, that's really amazing. So, anything else that's coming out?
5: Uh, not at the moment. Uh, we will have some releases in the very near future. Yesu is going to continue to develop our product line. Uh, we'll be one of the manufacturers that's there on the cutting edge of technology. So, you could expect to keep seeing that from Yesu.
1: All right. Thank you very much for your time. Have a good hamvention. Thank you. Thank you. I am standing here at the HamSource booth with Dan Gravero, N1ZZ, the original founder of West Mountain Radio. How are you doing, Dan? I'm just doing fine, and good morning. Good morning to you. So I see you guys have a lot of awesome power products, things that uh, allow power pole enabled, allow you to run multiple devices, some portable stuff for those who work in the field. Tell us uh, what you have today.
6: Well, we have quite a few portable products. Uh, we have a, a small meter that measures voltage and current, and it does so very accurately, handles 40 amps, and and it's a wonderful thing to have around your shack and also around your car, if you're going to measure, uh, you know, your ham radio set in a car uh, as a mobile setup. Also, uh, we also have a small um, power strip. It's one in and four out, but it's got a very nice, bright uh, uh, LED meter, also very handy to put in your car because it'll tell you if your car voltage is okay and gives you four outputs to run uh, uh, all of your equipment. we also have some more more powerful devices. We have a uh, a, a battery backup system. We have two of them. We have a small one. I'll start with a big one first. It's more fun to talk about the Cadillacs than it is about the small Chevrolets. But we have a big battery backup system. It's called the EasyGate 80. And it handles 80 amps. And how it works is as follows it's a 12 volt system, so you hook your, your power supply to it, and you hook your battery to the other input. And whichever voltage is greater goes to the output. So typically, your battery is sitting at about 13 and a half volts, and your power supply is sitting at 13.8. And so the output com- comes from the power supply. But as soon as the power goes out at the speed of electrons, it switches to the uh, a battery, and then it runs your equipment. Now when the power comes back on again, at the speed of electrons, it switches back to the power supply, but as a bonus, it charges your battery back up from the power supply. And uh, we also have a small one that does the same thing, but it only handles 40 amps, but the big one has meters on it to measure the battery voltage and the charging current. So for that big one, what is the maximum charge current that will come out? Uh, 20 amps, but it depends upon your battery. So that if your battery is really almost dead, it'll do 20 amps. But as your battery charges up, it'll taper off in a safe manner so that it'll charge it properly, and then it switches to a float charge. So it'll peak charge it to up to 20 amps, but then it will click off when the uh, uh, voltage gets high enough, it'll click off and give you a, a float charge maintaining 13.5 volts forever on the battery. So are they three-stage charging algorithms or four-stage? Well, they're four-stage, but uh, really the three stages are active. The only four-stage that we have is that it checks for a dead battery. It, it checks to see if under a trickle charge it'll go up to 10 volts. And if it does, it assumes that all cells are okay, and then it clicks to a bulk charge.
1: All right, so for both those units, the big one and the little one, about how much do they run?
6: Well, the, the large one is $180, and the little one is, uh, is $70. And the $70 one only has a trickle charger in it, not a, f- a four-stage charger. Okay, good to know. So, since you're at Hamvention, is there anything you're excited about seeing while you're here? <laughs> I'm always excited about looking at the power amplifiers because at my age I like to turn my power up. Uh, there's some really good um, um, uh, power amps made overseas that are, that are all solid state. I think that's great and I love looking at SDR equipment because uh, SDR um, uh, receivers and transmitters take advantage of, of the new technology in high power computers which is really great.
1: So right now what is your favorite software defined receiver or radio?
6: Uh, I'm not sure what my favorite one is, but what I, what I enjoy the most are the little tiny software uh, receivers that you take home and build yourself. They are phenomenal, and it gives you the ability to program you know, um, uh, yourself in an exciting manner and get incredible signal-to-noise ratio in the receivers. But I don't really know what my favorite one is. That's why I'm here. And I've
1: noticed there are a lot of new companies this year selling both computer-attached and standalone units. So it's getting really excited for SDRs in general.
6: And I agree. And I can't wait to go and look around and take some home. What is so great is that my uh, 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 friends and family, uh, you know, uh, relatives, enjoy uh, putting things together and working on their computers. So this brings ham radio and computer together and is very, very satisfying.
1: Outstanding. Well, thank you so
6: much for your time. What is your website? Uh, the website is hamsource.com, and uh, really, uh, they carry an awful lot of stuff just besides the equipment that I talked about.
1: Outstanding. Well, we look forward to it. Thank you so much for the time. Have a great Hamvention. Thank you so much. All right, folks, I am here with two hams enjoying Hamvention. Go ahead and tell me your name, your call sign, and whether you've been here before. Uh, Mike
5: Krueger, Call sign is K9MJK,
7: and this is my first time here. Uh, my name is Steve Hall, uh, AC9MM, and I was here last year. All right. And where are you guys traveling from to get here? Uh, Chicago, Illinois. We drove together. Excellent. So what do you guys think so far?
5: Uh, it's a good, good uh, uh, I guess I would call it a ham fest. It's a little bit more than most of the regular ham fest, the local ones. Uh, lots to see. Uh, everything from full spectrum of the stuff in the flea market to the, uh, the uh, newer production items in the uh, internal area.
7: Yeah, if you want to see something, this is the place to see it. If you're looking for something in particular, this is the place. So far, the weather's been great. We started off at the flea market. It was nice and cool. And now the sun came out, and we went inside. So it's, uh, it's perfect weather so far. It's supposed to rain, but that's what the indoors are for.
1: So out of curiosity, was there something on your shopping list that you came to get? Uh, I bought
5: my, uh, my Flex Radio before I came here. That would have been the shopping list item, but I purchased it a month ago.
7: Uh, I have nothing to buy. I just came to, to visit and hang out. How many
1: times have you been to Hamvention?
7: This is my second. So
1: what keeps bringing
7: you back? Uh, you know, I, I walk through here and I see a bunch of people that I know. Uh, this is generally uh, the only place where I'll see some of them. And it's good to talk and, and, and hang out. You know, you get to talk. If you have any questions, you can get it answered here. Um, and, and anything you need to talk about or want to talk about as far as Ham Radio and just catch up. It's like a family. It's like a family reunion for Ham Radio.
1: Outstanding. Well, guys, thank you so much for the time. Take care and safe travels.
7: All right, I am here with Ian, n ik
1: a good friend from my old club, the Alexander, Alexander Amateur Radio Club. And this is one of the things I love about Dayton. You get to run into old friends, and it's like no time has passed. How are you doing, Ian? Yeah, Very good, Jeremy. Yeah, this is uh, my 15th time to Hamvention, I think. I only missed it
8: one year because I had a doctor's appointment. I couldn't move, so yeah, it is what it is when you get old. So, But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm enjoying it uh, like most hams here. I'm going to get in trouble, I'm sure. You know, think about a, K- a new uh, Elecraft K3S that just got uh, released. Been looking at a K3 for a long time, and uh, the specs are phenomenal, and uh, about time to uh, do major damage to the credit card.
1: It pretty much is the radio, isn't it? Yeah, all the contesters love it. It's a great field day
8: radio because it's uh, lightweight. Uh, some people bitch about the, uh, the 12 volt. Uh, power supply that uh, you know the IMD on it is not what it could be but that's not what this radio was designed for is it's it's, you know if they went to 48 volt uh, finals and yeah maybe but uh, the specs are so amazing that uh, uh, the receiver and the the transmitters caught up with the receiver as far as uh, amazingness so uh,
1: I think I'm gonna take the plunge. Outstanding so I know you guys are out here as a club you guys come out every year and one of the things that we got asked a lot before I came out here is, what what is here for a new ham, or what keeps bringing you back? Uh, well, like you mentioned,
8: uh, yeah, seeing uh, folks that uh, we know yeah, either locally or uh, on the air, and, You know, the, these, are, this, these are where you make the eyeball QSOs, so to speak, uh, folks you talk to all the time but can't attach a face to a call sign. Um, I, I go out a day early with uh, you know, W9TCE, Ted, and we uh, hit the Air Force Museums. That's you know, seems like uh, aircraft are a big part of ham radio, too, for some reason. You know, both have radios in them, but uh, a lot of folks are interested in uh, aircraft, too. And that Air Force Museum over at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base is awesome. Uh, they're putting up a new uh, hangar, uh, hangar number four, I think, now, or, or five. Uh, but uh, that'll be open for next uh, hamvention, we think. Uh, uh, so that's always a good time. Um, and it's not too far of a drive from uh, the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, it, it takes a day, uh, a leisurely day's drive to, uh, to get here. Uh, but, uh, you know, we got 25,000 of our closest friends here, so uh, uh, it's a good time. We get to eat the, uh, the fair food that they have here, but uh, we, we seem to survive it every year.
1: Outstanding. Well, Ian, thank you so much. Good luck with that new radio. Uh,
8: thanks, Jeremy. It's, uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be uh, a lot of fun. Uh, like everything else in ham radio, it's, uh, everything's a learn and a uh, uh, new toy every year. Uh, can't have too many radios. That's one of the rules of ham radio.
1: So uh, uh, I'm going to do my part for the, uh, the local economy. Outstanding. Good luck. Thanks. One of the things I will definitely say about Dayton is it is a dynamic place. Vendors that were here in years before are not here this year, and their spots are taken by new vendors. One of the things that is definitely surprising is how many software-defined radio and receiver companies there are here. Uh, generally, we keep a pretty good eye on that stuff, but honestly are seeing a lot of folks we've never heard of, and I look forward to trying to talk to some mm-hmm. of them. I am standing here with Eric, Whiskey Hotel 6, Echo Echo Yankee, all the way from Hawaii, a listener of the Faux Time Amateur Radio Podcast. Eric, how you doing? Hey, real good. I'm really enjoying the uh, ham fest here. So this is your first time, right? Yes, it is. How long have you been an amateur?
9: Uh, since uh, July of 2013.
1: So what do you think so far?
9: I love it, especially uh, where I'm at, it, everything's DX from there. So it's uh, been a lot of fun uh, talking to the different countries and making a lot of different contacts around the world.
1: So what have you bought that you couldn't live without?
9: Uh, Here, this time, or in general?
1: Right here, this time.
9: Uh, Well, I ended up buying another uh, uh, Samlex power supply for travel, so I don't have to unhook the one uh, for my base station every time I I go out. And then uh, I had a bit of an impulse buy and bought a straight key, and I'm planning on learning uh, CW.
1: Outstanding. Have you gone to any forums or attended any of the other events here? I've been to a couple of the forums so far, um, not
9: all that hot so far, but there was a good one. Uh, it was a ham, the uh, uh, ham, uh, I, can't, I can't think of that. it's the uh, ham broadcast, a podcast, at a, uh, a town hall meeting, and it was pretty funny listening to the guys, uh, Bob Heil and, uh, and Gordo.
1: Oh, outstanding. So do you think you're going to start coming back on a more regular basis?
9: Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun and uh, definitely be coming back. Probably not every year, but uh, d- just due to cost. But, uh, yeah, I'll definitely be coming back.
1: Outstanding. Anything you want to tell our listeners?
9: No, it's just been, uh, been great uh, meeting folks here and uh, meeting the folks from uh, the other RFAMs from AR15.com. It's been a,
1: uh, been a really good experience. Outstanding. Well, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of the show. Great. Thank you. All right, I am here with Wolf River Coils with Terry N9A0T, one of the founders of this company. I ran into this company at Frostfest in Richmond, Virginia earlier this year, and they make some very high-quality uh, PVC loading coils for portable field expedient antennas. Terry, how are you doing at Dayton this year?
10: Oh, very good. Kind of stay dry like normal.
1: <laughs> so is this your first year at Dayton?
10: No, it's not. We've been at Dayton a few times. so.
1: So how long have you guys been around?
10: We've been doing this for about five years now.
1: So tell us about the products that you guys have for sale.
10: Okay, we make pretty much a line of, uh, we call them silver bullet line of antenna coils. We have them to go from 10 through 40 meters. We also have a 10 through 80 meter coil, which is basically a mobile type uh, coil that could be used for portable. Some people have used them for uh, backyard type thing where they just uh, are in an antenna restricted area. They can also run a wire off it as well too and use it in an attic insulation type thing. Then we also make a vertical antenna. That's on the same concept of our coil, but it's a full size vertical, about 17 feet tall. And right now we just come along with a, a rotatable dipole now that we've got that comes, works on 30. 40 or 60 meters and uh, it's a low power, it's up to about 300 watts but basically it gives you some kind of advantage by having a rotatable dipole on 60 meters.
1: So what do I mount that to to get it up in the air?
10: Okay, with well, a rotatable dipole you use you either put on top of a beam if you have a tower structure already with the beam or if you just want to just put it on a tripod on a house or something like that. Uh, some of the gentlemen that have used our rotatable dipole already has done just that where they just have it on a fixed location basically pointing towards uh, the north and south so the, the, the main lobe is towards your so that's what the best for them.
1: Outstanding. So, for a new ham who's interested in going out and operating portable, what do you recommend for them to start with from your product line?
10: Well, if they're going to go portable, we have a nice little tabletop antenna we call it. It's the TIA antenna, which consists of a collapsible whip, uh, a mini tripod, a um, Roof River uh, 1000 coil, and a counterpoise. And something like that you can set up either on a picnic table, and if somebody's in an apartment complex, you can actually just put it in the backyard and run it like that. Works very well.
1: So, what bands does that cover?
10: They will cover 10 through 80 meters.
1: Outstanding. So, wh- yeah, you guys have a website, right? What is that? Yes, we
10: do. We have a website. It's uh, www.wolfrivercoilsllc.com.
1: Wonderful. So, Terry, now, when you're here at Dayton, is there anything that you're looking for to buy?
10: Actually, I already did. <laughs> I bought myself a couple more radios, which my wife doesn't know about yet. But, uh, and, of course, we're still trying to sell some old ones. But that's what we kind of look for. I always like to look at new uh, motivation. And last year we bought some new mobile rigs for, to go with the coils and things and kind of keep testing them. But we do run the counties and stuff. So anything we do in the motorhome and keep on running, that's what we look for.
1: Outstanding. Well, have a great Dayton. Thank you.
10: Thank you very much.
1: All right, I am here with Cameron, another friend of mine from the Alexandria Radio Club, Cameron AK4CM. This is also your first Dayton, correct? That's correct. First trip out. So Cameron uh, was a good friend of mine because you were my D-Star Elmer, in effect. Uh, he was very active with D-Star back in the D.C. area and uh, helped me learn quite a bit. He helped me build my first hotspot and inspired me to do so. You still playing around with D-Star?
11: Yeah, still, me- still messing around with it a little bit. Uh... You know, activity has dropped off a little bit with friends moving in and out of the area, but such as the nature, na- the nature, excuse me, of living in the national capital region. Uh, but I am definitely still active with it.
1: So, with this being your first Dayton, what have you thought? What have you liked? What you didn't like? So, I'll be
11: honest. This uh, this ham fest is great for uh, having the opportunity to experience new operating modes and new activities that. The smaller hamfests just don't have. They can't draw the uh, the attention to the to the technology. So D-Star is a perfect example. Their presence here is unreal. Uh, three or four, you know, between ICOM and, and unaffiliated groups. Anything you want to know about D-Star is is here. I've also explored the the AMSAT uh, booth and some of their activities. But I think what makes Dayton. Is the ability to have every operating mode, every activity that you could even conceive of in amateur radio is present here.
1: Outstanding. So, do you think this is going to be something you'll start coming
11: back to? Oh, absolutely. I think uh, I, I kind of noticed this morning. I think the concept is look at what the the um, uh, their idea of what to to how to pattern Dayton. So this year is homebrew. It's all focused on homebrew. And if it's something that interests you, you're going to have a great time. Uh, you know maybe if you can't come every year like I can't come every year I'll pick the ones that are most interesting to me, and I'll make the trip from uh, from here on out for sure.
1: So which vendors were the most interesting for you to talk to
11: um, actually, f- less on the vendor side and more on the interest group side i've really been uh, I've spent a lot of time at the D Star booth learning about those. Uh, the the new equipment and stuff that I haven't experienced yet. Um, I guess some of the GMSK modem vendors and whatnot on the D-Star side, and then the AMSAT booth. I, I spent a lot of time there, and they're more of an interest group than a than a vendor per se. Uh, but they're certainly driving uh, activity towards vendors once you find out what it is you need to become involved. I also experienced the uh, the demonstration on a satellite pass communications, and I thought that was just incredible and kudos to the AMSAT group for putting that together.
1: Outstanding. Well, thank you so much. Have a safe trip home. All right. Thanks. I am standing in the Tapper booth with Steve, N7HPR, president of Tapper. These guys are generally on the forefront of what's coming next in amateur radio. Steve, how's Dayton going so far? Dayton's going great. There's just a
12: phenomenal attendance here and a phenomenal interest. So we're having a great time this year.
1: So we mainly, we, we address a lot of things for newer and younger hands and folks who like to play with the latest in technology and amateur radio, and you guys are all about that. So tell us, what's Tapper doing these days? What, what's, what's new and exciting this year? Okay, so
12: Tapper is really the experimenter's club or group or association, so we are always about enabling people and helping them experiment. So of course, you know, the biggest buzz phrase is software-defined radio. And of course, everywhere you look, there's all kinds of software-defined radio. So Tapper was one of the first that was getting on the forefront of that of software-defined radio back in 2000. So we literally had talks going all the way back to the year 2000. So what do we have today here at the booth? Several examples of software-defined radio. All of these are open hardware, open software. So if anybody has any desire to learn, get under the hood we have it for you.
1: Outstanding. So for somebody who's just starting out with an interest in software-defined radio, where do they generally start? Well, this
12: great thing we call the Internet. (laughs) And you usually do a Google search and you put in software-defined radio. But if you want to experiment with it, probably the easiest, cheapest way to get started is these these dongles that are meant for digital TV, and we call them RTL dongles or, or what have you. If you Google RTL dongle or RTL software-defined radio, you'll see these dongles and you'll see a plethora of software that'll run them. Now, these dongles are receive-only, but they get you started. And you can tune them through different frequencies. You can tune them to ham frequencies, non-ham frequencies, see what's out there. And you can have a lot of fun for about 20 bucks.
1: Outstanding. Now, is Tapper showing off anything new this year?
12: Yes, we are. We've got several um, things beyond beyond SDR. For example, another thing in the experimenter's realm is uh, they like to keep very accurate time, okay? So with very accurate time around the world, we can do these very elaborate communications protocols. So we have a whole series of what we call timing products. And we've introduced a new RF switch that basically can take any RF frequencies or even uh, 1 PPS signals or 10 megahertz signals and distribute it throughout the shack for your your test equipment, tie everything, and synchronize everything.
1: Outstanding. So since you guys are on the forefront and always looking forward, what's next? Software-defined radio is the hot thing today. Hopefully everybody's going to catch up to that at some point. But what are you guys looking at next? So it's
12: interesting because we, we always have our eyesight on the horizon and we're trying to see what pops up over there. Nothing really is is jumping out, let's say. But what I've been observing, and I've kept, I've kept my eye on that horizon because I'm trying to say, okay, what is that? What can I put my finger on? I think really the answer is, is, is combining things. We're seeing more and more integration. So it's not one thing. It's taken a lot of the things that we know today I mean gosh the, the computing power we can buy today for such a low cost beagle bones raspberry pies so now we've got the computing power in a very small package for a very low cost now you're starting to see things go into smaller and smaller packages doing more and more things so I think what's really on the horizon is basically a smartphone type of device that's really ham radio instead of being phone. I mean, what I would hope to see, and there's several people working on it, go on Kickstarter and look at the Pocket SDR project. This is a great example. All open, open software, but basically it's a apps running on a touchscreen doing HF radio.
1: How cool is that? It is absolutely cool, and that's one of the things that we sometimes get disappointed, that we don't see the manufacturers catching up with those technologies as quickly. There are things that my smartphone has done for years that, you know, the big three can't compete with yet, and that's kind of the forefront and what we enjoy seeing. Well, and don't wait around for anybody,
12: quite frankly. I, I mean, big three or, or little three or whatever, the, the, the basic building blocks exist today. You can put them together, a little bit of glue, a little bit of software, and you have it all together. And then write about it. So probably one of the best products that Tapper has is not only do we have the booth here at Dayton Hamvention, but take a look at the Digital Communications Conference. We do that every September. This year it kind of rolled into the first week of October. But the Digital Communications Conference, in conjunction with the AWRL, we do a call for papers people talk about their projects. It gets published in a paper proceedings, and we video record the talk, and we put it up on the internet. The past five, six years of the Digital Communications Conference is online. I invite you to go up there, take a look at some of those talks, see what it's like. More than anything, come to the DCC. It's a great opportunity to socialize, talk about your project, if you don't talk about it, we have a demo room. Bring your stuff. Set it up. It's free. I mean, it's free to, to demo, but of course there is a cost associated to the conference because we got to pay for the hotel.
1: Outstanding. So if I wanted to learn more about Tapper, what website would I go to?
12: Okay, very easy www.tapr and that's Tango alpha, Papa Romeo, dot
1: all right, outstanding. So you as a Dayton participant, what are some of the things that you are personally interested in looking at while you're here?
12: You know, it's interesting because now that I'm more in a leadership position in amateur radio, it's not so much that I don't have as much time on the bench as I used to. I was much a contributor, making projects, talking about them, writing about them. My job now is helping people get to that level, all right? so. I go around, I talk to a lot of people, I encourage people, I invite people, and say, here, this is what Tapper's all about. If you're an experimenter, we're experimenters, let's get our heads together. There's nothing... I'll tell you what, I haven't seen an experimenter that's a lone wolf, okay? And the hacker ethic is very alive and well in amateur radio, and part of that hacker ethos is sharing. And I'll tell you what, that's what Tapper's about. It's about sharing. And that's what we want to do is invite people that want to work together, whether, you know, if we can see you at the DCC, great. If we can see you at Hamvention, great. But if, if anything, we can see you on the Internet, videos, exchange, anything to contribute and advance the radio art.
1: Well, outstanding. I picked up in HackRF yesterday that I look forward to dipping my toe into the SER water. So I have a feeling I may be a, become a member soon. Then uh, make sure you
12: have a, a podcast with Michael Osman on that HackRF. And Michael actually at our banquet last night gave a wonderful talk about the hacker ethos and how it, it it is very similar to amateur radio. We did video record it. We'll get it up on the net. So hopefully. You know, it'll be up on the net about the time this podcast hits it. But I invite everybody to, to look for Michael Osmond's talk about how he found amateur radio. And, you know, and you know if you're part of the Hacker ethos or you've got it one foot in one and one in the other, I'll tell you what, it's a lot of the same culture, and there's no reason why we can't be doing the same things. It's all about having fun. It's all about learning.
1: Well, thank you very much for your time. Enjoy the rest of Hamvention. And you too. Thanks for chatting. I am standing in front of Solar 24, where we have some new exciting portable solar power products with Dr. Jim Walter, W9BWC.
2: Hello, sir. How do you do? And thanks for uh, the the chance to talk to your audience. Uh, What we have done is integrate solar power with energy storage along with microprocessor control our original concept could be best summarized as our patent teaches distributed energy storage and power quality control what that means instead of having one big battery up at the battery house which can be a real problem uh, especially if they decide to rapidly disassemble uh, we have if we had ten thousand solar panels out we would have ten thousand batteries each one with its own microprocessor control that's an advanced notion and is is waiting for its time to come here at, uh, at the Hamvention, what we're doing is introducing our micropower supplies, which basically are made for anything from QRP rigs uh, all the way up to HF rigs, as long as you're willing to turn the power knob back to 50%. So tell us a little bit more about these little modules I see on your table. Uh, basically what we've done is use monocrystalline solar panels because they're the most efficient. Uh, we have picked as energy storage lithium iron phosphate. Very careful that you say all that because they are the safest lithium battery that you can buy. Ours have been tested by UN uh, certified laboratories. It's called uh, UN 38.3, which is a standard that allows us to ship these products anywhere in the world that believes in U- UN. <laughs> and, uh, and it can be air, sea, or land. So we, we can ship from the internet. And uh, we're here in Dayton enjoying, uh, I think, a very, very nice reception for our product. So our signature product here at Dayton is something we call the Mini Power Supply. It's ideally suited for QRP operation. Um, I've got an 817 over here that, that I'm using as a demonstration unit. Basically, with a 30-watt solar panel and my power box, uh, you could run continuously 24 hours a day, as long as you said I'll go to bed at 3 or 4 in the morning. So uh, basically, we're, uh, we're here selling a... a Solar power supply for ham radio service, but that service actually, uh, and it, it troubles my heart to think that there should be maybe a thousand of these in Kathmandu right now, because if we had these things distributed amongst uh, emergency service first responders, what have you, uh, there would be no power problems running communications, and so that our our vision in starting the company. Uh, really began by looking at what is called O3B, the other three billion people who circle the equator and have no power whatsoever. But they are now getting an Internet signal from the O3B project. The satellites are up, the signals are coming down. Now, at at this point, they're coming into dish antennas, and they'll be distributed locally. But basically what we're saying is that we are going to enable three billion people who have no power whatsoever have been have been living, I'm sure, a wonderful life for the last 10,000 years. But the, as we as we hold this interview, we're going to find uh, maybe one or two or three kids born who will become a Ph.D. in physics at uh, Caltech, will become a Ph.D. engineer from MIT, will become an M.D. from Johns Hopkins. He'll do it in his village. He'll do it in his language and you'll do it with a series of lessons that come over the internet, and they'll be free. So education is going to change, and this is a generational thing. It's going to happen in the next 25 years, but those kids are being born today. They have the internet, they just don't have the power, but the sun shines all day, every day on the equator. So one of our visions is to really see this product basically reach distribution in third world countries. So it's it's great to run ham radio, and that should go with it, uh, but... Uh, our, our heart's desire right now, we're, we're older and we'd like to give something back and this is our way of saying thank you for everything that's, that's been given to us.
1: Well, wonderful. So the unit itself is kind of an all-in-one box. You have, as you mentioned, a battery and your solar charge controller plugged in. Um, tell us a little bit more about how much storage capacity there is in the battery and a little bit more about the charge controller itself.
2: Uh, The storage battery itself, uh, we've gone to a modular approach to energy storage. I talked about getting UN38.3 approval. It's on our single pack, which is what's called a 4S1P, meaning it has four series cells. 1P means there's only one row of them. And that is a 40-watt-hour, 3200 milliampere-hour battery pack. Uh, Excuse me, 3200 milliampere battery pack. So that battery uh, running for example a 5 watt QRP rig and thinking of the duty cycle maybe at 50% or something like that uh, you'd probably be running 5 watts and we could run 8 hours on just our box because it's 40 watt hours of energy storage. The really really strong story, story to tell here is actually about the charge controller. You're looking at it and uh, it's a circuit board but it's a very special circuit board In the fact that it's all software defined. And we have left probably 90% of the space in that microprocessor for external applications. Uh, We have what are known as prototyping areas on the board where you could put your favorite app in. It could be Bluetooth, it could be a monitor, uh, streaming, a bit streaming monitor for the output of the system. Uh, If you cared to, you could run a weather station or a local LAN internet station in a faraway village, basically by using our expansion areas because the microprocessor has got all kinds of power. So we would power that from the box and we could run radio links. Uh, We could run a a bunch of repeater stations. Uh, As you know, that's becoming very popular. And so I see us linking up people that have no other way except to walk, to greet each other, to pick up a microphone and treat it as if it were a phone. Outstanding. So, what is the uh...
1: processor that you use on these things uh, and do you guys have a development kit for people who are interested in
2: playing with that we haven't yet um, the microprocessor we, we have actually used two vendors we have a larger board our larger board will actually control sixteen hundred watts of, of pv and that's a linear microprocessor uh... the one that's on this one is actually made by ti you're looking for the pic number <laughs> is that what you want <laughs> you'd have to ask my electrical engineer over here because uh... If I said it's a 40-20, he would say, no, no, it isn't. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm not at that level. I'm, I'm the thinker, he's the doer, and we have the system after about two and a half years of work uh, completely ready for commercial service. We are in a position now uh, that we can take an, any sized order that I can finance, uh, and we could build 100 or 10,000 of these things because our board supplier is high volume, our battery supplier is high volume, the cases that we're using and the connectors and everything else come right out of DigiKey or or, Mo's, yeah, uh, or, or Aero Electronics or whatever else. So there is no shortage of any of the components. Uh, we would have to ramp up in terms of assembly operations, but basically we're not building the boards. They're being built in a very advanced uh, uh, board house, and, and it's all surface mount technology.
1: So in the box themselves, do you guys have all of the battery protection, low voltage disconnect, uh, over current protection, under uh, voltage protection, and everything that one needs? I mean, is it a completely self-contained unit?
2: I'm trying to think of something we have that you didn't mention, but uh, basically what we've done is use a protected battery to start with. So our battery uh, uses what's known as a poly switch. It's a wonderful new device. Uh, it's it's a device that only has a 4 milliohm insertion loss uh, and when it, it when it's over current it turns to an amorphous state from a crystalline state goes to about 120 kiloohms so it limits current very nicely it takes uh, maybe 30 to 60 uh, micros, uh, excuse me milliseconds to restore once you take clear the fault but then we go into a box where we have the output of our system running through self-protecting MOSFETs. The self-protecting MOSFET that we've chosen here because we were making a rig that we wanted to span the whole, the whole scape between uh, QRP and an HF rig is a 20-amp output system. If you run 22-23 amps, those MOSFETs basically open the circuit turn on a red light and tell you you've just exceeded the power limit of the unit. So if you stay at 20 amps or under, it continues to run as long as you feed solar power in and you haven't exceeded the battery's capacity.
1: So unlike a lot of devices, and this device is, I don't know, maybe the size of two decks of playing cards or a two by two, it's fairly small for its size, but what you're telling me is it's built that I could run a 100-watt portable HF radio off of it if I needed to, obviously not for very long, but that won't shut it down.
2: Well, the advantage of what we've done is that we have set it up so we can add parallel battery packs. So our 40-watt-hour battery can become 80, can become 120, can become 160. And, and, And the reason why this is important is that our microprocessor control circuit controls all of the parallel battery packs as well. When it looks out there, it doesn't know whether it's got one, two, three, or four cells in parallel. It just sees one common voltage, which, of course, is tied together by the copper wire. So our, our battery pack is very expandable, uh, and we sell this, uh, we call it the XBAT, or external battery pack. And so you can, you can multiply the power and with 160-watt uh, um, four of the battery packs and a 150-watt solar panel. And I always tell people, turn the power knob down to 50%, you know. Uh, you you lose a, maybe a dB or something, you know, in signal strength by going from 100 to 50 watts. But you'll gain twice the power on your solar and battery system. So I think the watchword in anything solar is to rationalize the load. In other words, do demand-side management first. And whatever you can do to conserve power, simply extend your runtime. Outstanding. So if uh, our listeners wanted to order one of these, where would they go online? Uh, go to www solar24.pw, 24 solar, four, solar and there's an interesting story there. When my webmaster came up, and, and we were looking for a nice, easy-to-remember URL, he said, Jim, Jim, he says, I got solar24.pw. I said, you did what? He said, you didn't think you were going to get solar24.com, or .co, or .us, or .na, or did you? I said, well, I don't know. He said, there's a lot of people running tanning salons that have taken out websites on Solar24. So he says, I got .pw. I said, whoa, what does that mean? He says, you know, .power. Solar24.pw is .power. So welcome to our website. We're building it out now. There's a lot of useful information on it. We have instructions, and we will be kidding these things for people that like to build it. The sad story is... My contract manufacturer is assembling all these parts that come in pre-made and only charging me $10 a box. So it isn't that cheap to send you the parts. It'd be a lot like L-Craft or whatever. It's pretty much pre-made. You just have to enjoy putting it together. We have all flying lead connections so the wires don't show. And, and so it, it might be fun to put it together because you understand what you built after you've looked at it. And We've got a lot of technology in our website. We're building it out every day. Outstanding. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and I look forward to hearing myself on the air. <laughs> All right, thank you. You're
1: I'm standing here in front of the Pygnology booth with Nick N3WG, friend of the Time Amateur Radio Podcast. Nick, you look exhausted here at the end of day two.
13: Yeah, I can't feel my feet any longer. I'm losing my voice, I think. Last year, I lost my voice entirely at the end of Saturday. Uh, it's been busy. Long days. What's the upside? Not exactly sure yet. <laughs> but I'm sure something will come to me. Met a lot of nice people, though.
1: So how have uh, people responded to the pac
13: They're very interested in it. Uh, they like the, uh, the unique way we did the ballon and the, uh, the 9-1 to Unun. Um, I think we got a winner with it. Uh, time will tell. But uh, there was definitely interest in it. George gave a presentation on it. It was well received, standing room only. So, and we were flooded with people afterwards. So, that was good.
1: Outstanding. Well, I hope you get some rest tonight, so you can actually try to enjoy Hamvention tomorrow, and uh, have safe tra- uh, safe travels back to California.
13: Yeah, we usually take Sunday off, and um, I believe we're going to the Air Force Museum at Wright Patterson Air Force Base tomorrow. So, uh, we're going to relax on Sunday and then head out. Thank you.
1: Outstanding. Thanks. Thank you. All right, it's day three, and I'm standing here at the exciting Elecraft booth, always one of the most busy places at Dayton, and this year especially so with the release of the brand new K3S transceiver. I'm here with Eric Schwartz,
14: WA6HHQ,
1: one of the founders of Elecraft. Eric, how's Dayton going
14: so far? Oh boy, this has been our best Dayton ever, and that sounds like something we say every year, but actually with the K3S, it's been incredible. Why don't you tell us about the new radio? Now yeah, the K3S is the most, uh, my voice is going here, so excuse me after, the, after three days of Dayton. I, um, it's the latest version of our K3. We've now upgraded the K3 with performance improvements and also usability improvements. It's an evolution on the product where we've added considerable improvement to our performance of close-in dynamic range, um, much quieter phase noise on our local oscillators. We've added a USB interface that has full sound and controls instead of a serial cable for the radio. Um, In addition, we still support the older direct audio uh, line-in, line-out connections and uh, serial control for if you want to keep using that. But this is a single cable solution for most uh, most people now to hook up to their digital mode, uh, software programs, things like that. We've also um, added additional improvements on the actual RF board for the radio, better sensitivity, uh, especially on the higher bands, 6 and 12 meters. Um, And also uh, redesigned things like the audio output circuitry for even better audio. And uh, we added coverage now for the new 630 meter ham band, too. The new synthesizers and updates to our main boards allows you to go down in the 470 kilohertz region and below. uh, And listen down there, we have a uh, low level output, so you can drive an external amplifier if you want one for that band, too. So really quite a bit of new stuff on the radio. And uh, going with it, we've added some upgrades to our P3 pan adapter. We've added an option for a built in watt meter display and transmit envelope waveform so you can see your modulation envelope. And, and with a directional coupler that comes with that option, you can put that after your radio or your amplifier so you can make sure you're not overdriving your amplifier too. So you have a real time display of that in addition to our regular pan adapter on the P3.
1: Outstanding. Now, one of the things, a lot of our listeners own KX3s, myself included. And one of the things that was really cool about the radio is that I'm able to get almost 200 kilohertz of IQ data out to be able to use it with a band scope or other software-defined receiver applications.
14: Do I have that ability with the K3S? Um, K3S also is 200 kilohertz out. It's not IQ output. It's actually an 8.2 megahertz IF output. If you actually want to use IQ output, and actually this has been the case from very first, uh, when we first had the IF output, um, there's uh, several adapters that will give you IQ. They'll convert the 8.2 megahertz IF output down to IQ baseband. Uh, LP pan from Telepost Inc. actually is probably the most popular box doing that. So we can give you IQ if you want to go directly into a sound card, or if you want to go for higher performance into our pan adapter at 8.2 megahertz, of course, you can do that too. So you have the best of both worlds. Wonderful. Now, one of the other things I noticed with the announcement is I saw some of the features for the
1: new radio are available for original K3 owners. Can you talk about that?
14: Oh, absolutely. We want to make sure that uh, we provide as much of a, um, a upgrade path to our current K3 owners. Obviously, we want to attract new purchasers, but we also want to keep our customer base happy and have them be able to get as much performance out of their radio as it evolves. And we've done this with the K3 from ever since we've introduced it. As we introduced new firmware or made available new hardware upgrade mods or new modules, that radio we sold... You know, six or seven years after introduction was a very much improved radio over the original one, but you could bring your original ones up to that, very close to that level. In the case of the K3S improvements, you can take the new synthesizers and plug those into your old K3. You can buy the um, additional second preamplifier we added, a new KXV3 board. You can plug that into your old K3. We'll be offering uh, later this year, as we get caught up on our K3S production, additional boards like the um, I.O. board that adds the USB I.O. for data mode and, uh, and control and audio, that will also be able to be added to it too. So, uh, we have a lot of incremental additions that you can take your old K3 and upgrade that. We want to make sure you can you, can, you can, you can't get all the way to a K3S but you can get darn close and that's really the goal here.
1: Well, that's one of the things we really love about your products. You guys have almost an unparalleled commitment to your customers. I know my KX3 and my amplifier have been back to your offices to have certain upgrades that were made after my release because I have a relatively early serial number. And uh, actually, I want to thank you guys for being so involved with your end users. The software updates are phenomenal, and you guys really take
14: care of us. Well, that's really important to us. I mean, we want to stay close to our customers, and we listen to them, good and bad. If you have a complaint or anything, I want to hear that, or my support guys want to hear it. Our goal is to fix your problems and also to keep you happy, obviously keep you coming back for us to keep us in business but the only way that's going to be happening if you guys are happy and you tell your friends so we want to make sure that we give you as much both in terms of support upgradeability as much as possible it's you know within our ability to do that so we'll keep doing that going forward
1: all right i know you guys just released a brand new radio but is there anything else on the horizon we should be looking for
14: oh i'll always have new things sometime in the future but nothing next week (laughs) we're pretty busy with the k3s right now so i think well that'll be the major new thing you see for a little while all right. Well, I
1: look forward to talking to you at Dayton next year. Now, you here as a ham. Is there anything you were looking at it for or looking
14: for at Dayton? Oh gosh, I think I got about ten feet out of my booth the whole Dayton here. We've been mobbed the whole time. Somebody posted on Twitter a picture of our booth on Saturday saying typical pile pileup, I and mean, literally it was. We could barely move. So this is the first day on Sunday where it's a little more quiet, though quite busy here, that I've been able to actually get out and talk to people like yourself a little bit and got out, got out of the chair where I'm taking orders in the booth. So I haven't had a chance to walk around too much, but I'll probably sneak out later on today and see what I can find.
1: Wonderful. Well, Eric, thank you very much for the products and for taking the time to talk to FOTIME.
14: Well, thanks Left, for stopping by. i look forward to hearing from you in the future. All right. Thank you. Across
1: from the Elecraft booth, you often find a lot of vendors that build accessories for the wonderful Elecraft radios. And I am standing at QRP Works, the manufacturers of Key Log Go and the Ham Central Terminal. This year, they've released a new product called the Sidecar. I'm here with the operators of the business, Steve, KB3SII, and Shell, KF0UR. Gentlemen, how's Dayton going?
15: It's going great. Very exciting this, this year. Hot and humid as usual, but very nice. Can't complain about the crowds. We sold all the products that we brought to the show. That worked out fine for us.
1: Outstanding. So, I know you guys released the sidecar, which is a little unit that actually attaches to the KX-3. Why don't you tell me about it?
15: Well, the sidecar is made specifically for the KX-3. We call it the Swiss Army Knife of portable operations because it has so many different things in it. It uh, displays the decoded CW, PSK, and RIDI text that the KX3 has on a much bigger screen that you can freeze and scroll back so you can easily read it. It has a log built in for a thousand QSOs that you can export when you get home into an ADIF file. It has message generation in there, rig control, contest features, summit on the air features, county hunter features, the list goes on and on. It's a lot of different features for a lot of different users. Uh, The uh, sidecar only weighs five ounces. It attaches to the KX3 uh, in about two seconds with no tools. Very low power consumption sunlight readable, and five levels of backlight. So you can use it for night operations also.
1: Outstanding. And how has the
15: response been? Fantastic. As Steve said, we've just about sold out of everything we brought. And we have some more orders coming in online from around the world. We're getting orders from all over the world. Uh, the website went live on, uh, on Friday night. And uh, we'll, we'll definitely be busy when we get back home
1: after the show. All right. If our listeners wanted to order one of your products, where would they go? They would go to
15: www.qrpworks.com.
1: Wonderful. Well, gentlemen, is there anything that you are looking for at Dayton while you're here? Yes, but we can't leave the booth. <laughs> That's the same problem for me. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of Dayton. Thank you very much. Right. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Finally, for the first time in 20 plus episodes, we're going to speak to Richard Lenore. Did I get that right, Lenore? You did. You Richard did. Lenore of Maine Trading Company, our faithful sponsor. Your first time at Dayton, all the way up from Texas. What do you think?
16: It's a 900-mile trip one way. It's a grueling trip, pulling the trailer with about 4,000 radios in it, Um, but it has exceeded our expectations. We've set a record. We've never sold this many radios ever, Not not at a show.
1: I know this was a big deal for you guys to come up, I, you know, watching the, uh, your post on Facebook and all the emails and whatnot, and I know that every time I've come by to interview you for the last two days, you guys have been swamped.
16: Yes, we have been swamped. There's some, uh, we've, there's some local hams from Paris, Texas here, so we've recruited some of those guys to help us, especially yesterday. We had six people writing tickets at one time. Um, radios, accessories, it was just nuts,
1: you know, all day long. So what have you seen as the biggest sellers this year?
16: Oh, probably the biggest seller uh, this year was the new Kenwood, the 590SG. And, of course, the the handhelds, uh, any of the Chinese handhelds, the high-power one, uh, the Bofang and all that, that's still a good seller for us.
1: Well, I got to tell you, we really appreciate your involvement with the Faux Time Amateur Radio podcast. We appreciate you coming to Dayton. Is it safe to say you're going to be back next year?
16: I will definitely be back. But one thing I've noticed here, our booth space is too small. We'll have to get at least twice the space next year.
1: Outstanding. So as a ham, have you had a chance to get away from the booth and go walk around?
16: Just a little, just a little, kind of before the commercial vendors open up. And, uh, yeah, I've been here several times as a spectator, and Dayton is awesome. I mean, it's awesome.
1: Well, Richard, thank you so much for you do for us and for the community. Have a safe trip back to Texas, and we'll keep sending people your way.
16: Thank you very much. Seven threes, y'all. All right, thanks.
1: Back at the Tapper booth with Mike Osman, the inventor of the HackRF, which is an absolutely wonderful gateway drug into software-defined radio receivers. And radios, actually. Uh, Mike, I understand you just got your call sign 60 days ago.
17: That's correct. I've, I've uh, finally uh, decided to bite the bullet and go take the test.
1: Outstanding. AD0NR. So how long has the HackRF been in production now? Uh, it's been in production,
17: uh, well, it's been a, a long process to get here. Uh, many years of figuring out how to build such a thing, and a couple years of development and beta and uh, the first beta boards were uh, released in the summer of uh, 2013, but in the fall of 2014, I finally started shipping Hacker one which is the commercial version with the nice injection molded plastic enclosure and everything, and uh, right now, actually, the third production of Hacker F1 is in process, and I have a number of resellers around the world who uh, have them in stock, and, uh, and it's all rolling.
1: So talk about, if you could, the HackRF is a wonderful device for somebody who is really interested in understanding more about software-defined radio applications. What did you have in mind when you designed it?
17: Well, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. One of the things that I really wanted to support was education. I teach a a two-day crash course in software-defined radio. Mostly I teach at information security conferences, because that's the the community that I come from. And so I try to get more people in the the InfoSec community into software-defined radio to figure out how to use these modern tools to support the security testing of diverse wireless technologies. But... Anyone can get into software-defined radio. It's If you're an amateur radio operator or a wireless uh, researcher um, of any sort, if you're just somebody who wants to tinker with wireless things and experiment with new communication systems, software-defined radio is the best way to do it. And I'm, I've been in the process of putting my two-day course online, actually, on greatscottgadgets.com. Uh, I have a, a video series called SDR with HackRF that is an ongoing video series where I occasionally post a new lesson, uh, and assign homework, and get uh, try try to make the content that that I do in my my two-day class available to the whole world under an open content license. So, uh, getting back to your original question, one of the motivations for me to build HackRF one in the first place was to Uh, was to have the right tool for my class. The right tool for people who want to learn SDR. The right tool for people who want to experiment with the broadest range of digital radio technologies that they possibly can. And uh, additionally, I just wanted the device for myself. I wanted to have something in my laptop bag that I could carry around with me everywhere and not have to have a million different pieces of equipment for a million different... Uh, radio technologies that I want to hack on. I want to have one box that's small enough uh, and low power enough that I can just carry it around in my laptop bag and plug it in and have it powered over a USB uh, and so forth. But if there's one overriding reason why I'd developed HackRF1, it's because I just thought that the world needed open source hardware for software-defined radio. We have a lot of wonderful open source software for software-defined radio, uh, but prior to HackRF1, there wasn't any open source hardware for software-defined radio, and I think that's a very important thing that the community needs.
1: So tell us about what are the the specs for reception and for transmission with the HackRF1?
17: The top level specs, the things that are most important to know are the the range of operation, the range of frequencies of operation, and uh, and the sample rate. Uh, it operates from one megahertz to six gigahertz, and actually just this weekend I announced that that's the new spec. Uh, I used to say it was, well, originally I was trying to design so it would be 100 megahertz to six gigahertz, and then I figured out it would be 30 megahertz to six gigahertz, and then it seemed to work pretty well down to 10 megahertz to six gigahertz. You keep moving this spec down and down and down. And it was 10 megahertz to 6 gigahertz for a long time, Uh, and then. um, But we noticed that we were actually able to optimize it so that it could work lower than that. But I wasn't 100% confident in that until we had a few productions going and we could actually see that performance consistently. So now we've seen that, and so I decided to lower the official spec. So now it's 1 megahertz to 6 gigahertz. Uh, But you, tu- you can tune over the 6 gigahertz band, and anywhere in there, you can get 20 megahertz of bandwidth, transmit or receive. It's half duplex. So you can transmit or receive, but not both at the same time. And, uh, and it's USB-powered, so a USB 2.0. Uh, you can just plug it into your laptop and go. Um, and so those are the kind of the things you need to know. 20 megahertz of bandwidth, anywhere between 1 megahertz and 6 gigahertz, uh, transmit or receive.
1: And approximately, I know it's a very small, low-powered bore, and approximately how much power output do I get on transmit? On
17: transmit, it varies a little bit by the frequency range you're in, but the maximum transmit power you get in most bands is about 10 milliwatts. So it's not a lot of power. It's not really designed for operating in the traditional sense. It's designed for experimenting. I think of it as low-cost, uncalibrated test equipment that you can use it's a signal generator and a signal analyzer and uh, you can produce any radio signal and you can analyze any radio signal uh, on your bench across the room Uh, and if you want to do something bigger higher power you're going to have to do things like your own amplification and filtering and you know take responsibility for for the signal that you're producing
1: so you had mentioned again your website tell us your website again and any other good sources online folks to go to to learn more
17: sure it's great gadgets dot com and uh, that's where you can find out all about HackRF and about my, and you can start watching my video series SDR with HackRF. Uh, I also recommend you check out GNU Radio at GNURadio.org because that is the center of the open source software community for SDR. Um, pretty much everything that's going on in the software-defined radio world that is uh, open source software is centered around GNU Radio, and uh, it's a wonderful community of developers with a very active mailing. List. Um, also, the um, also the HackRF community is pretty active with a, a mailing list and a very uh, very active IRC channel. Uh, so I recommend people get online, check out the video series, and uh, start playing with open source SDR.
1: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming to Dayton again. I know this wasn't necessarily your first home, but you guys have definitely been well adopted by us. And I uh, look forward to talking to you next year.
17: Well, thanks for having me, and it's been wonderful. Uh, I feel like I've been welcomed into the amateur radio community more than I ever thought was possible. So thank you. All right. Thank you.
1: Standing here with Mark, W8MDX of iPortable, makers of wonderful uh, portable radio cases that are lightweight, weatherproof, and uh, make things really easy to get your radios out. Mark, how's Dayton going? Oh, Dayton's
18: excellent. uh, We've been coming up here for, uh, well, actually 30 years, but we now have a booth. Uh, selling products. Uh, We're from the Dayton area so uh, really
1: enjoy the show every year. Wonderful. So last year I bought one of your boxes and did a video of it on my YouTube channel and then I come by the booth this year and see that you guys have really upgraded.
18: Yeah we went, uh, this year we went to uh, commercial racks. Uh, Guys wanted to uh, run to mount larger radios in these racks so we, we made the shelves a little wider, and by doing that, we found some commercial racks that we're now using for the, the housing of these.
1: Now, tell us about some of the extra features you guys, because it's not just a box. You, you guys actually add a lot of value to these boxes as well.
18: Right. These, these boxes are totally pre-wired to, uh, uh, to fit You know any radio. Basically, you take a, a 100-watt mobile radio, use your mobile bracket, mount it to the, to the shelf. There's an adjustable shelf. And then we have all the wiring in these boxes, so you put your whatever connector
1: your radio needs, put your connector on it, uh, m- mount the radio, and you're ready to go. Outstanding. And I noticed you guys also have some pretty interesting looking portable antennas.
18: Yeah, we've got a new uh, smart tactical antenna that we're introducing, which we take our antenna analyzer. We have a auto tune button on it now, so uh, you would go. It would be. It's a 10 through uh, 20 meter antenna. Um, you go to the band that you want to operate on, put the frequency that you want in, and you hit the auto-tune, and now the antenna will tune to that frequency.
1: And you were telling me that they are carbon fiber whips?
18: Yeah, we use uh, our elements are carbon fiber, the stingers, so uh, if, if it were to fall down or in a windstorm, uh, they won't break or bend.
1: Wonderful. And if our listeners wanted to know more about your products, where would they go?
18: Uh, we're located on the web, uh, www.iportableus.com. All right, Mark, wonderful. Thanks for the time. All right, thank you. Thanks for
1: stopping. You guys are great. All right, standing at the Bionics booth with Bion and 6BG, the founder of Bionics, makers of wonderful APRS, well, everything. How's Dayton going? Oh, it's been going very well for us. So tell us what you brought to Dayton this year. Uh, Primarily, we do a lot
19: of APRS products. So uh, we've been doing our newest product is a balloon tracker this year for lightweight, uh, high-altitude balloon launches. We've also got some new products for uh, amateur radio fox hunting, which uh, we're also very involved in.
1: Okay. And have you had an opportunity to leave your booth and go look around yourself?
19: Uh, Only for maybe about five or ten minutes, so not very much that I've seen outside my booth.
1: Anything that you were looking for?
19: Uh, no, nope, just kind of scoping out, seeing if there was any uh, new exciting products and didn't really get to see anything that was too new. Uh, so, unfortunately, I didn't get to see all the show.
1: Is there anything you guys are working on you want our listeners to know about? Um, well,
19: we're definitely looking forward to doing more uh, APRS-type products. We're we're excited about, the, like I said, the high-altitude blue launches, and we're looking to add more uh, direction-finding equipment. We, uh, I, I'm really passionate personally about doing fox hunting. I've been doing that for a long time. Uh, we have a few transmitter modules and looking to, to also build some receiving gear soon, too.
1: So, tell us about the different trackers and TNCs that you offer.
19: So, we offer primarily uh, two classifications of trackers. One is uh, the tiny track line, which is meant to work with your own radio. So, it's just a controller, you can combine it with a GPS, and it plugs into any two meter uh, HT or mobile radio and makes it APRS ready. And then we also have our line of the micro tracks, which combine the Uh, Radio with the controller and the GPS. So those are pretty much all you need ready to go. You just plug it into a cigarette lighter. They come pre-programmed with your call sign. Either throw batteries in it for the portable version or plug it into the cigarette lighter and you got your car tracker ready.
1: All right, and if I wanted to buy your products, where would I go online?
19: Uh, We're available online at bionics.com. That's B-Y-O-N-I-C-S.com. All
1: right, well, thank you. Safe travels back.
19: Very good. Thank you much. Good luck.
1: So, when I lived in Washington, D.C., I had the opportunity to uh, volunteer with a team called First Lego League. And it is a wonderful opportunity to get young people involved in engineering and problem solving. One of the things I've loved at Dayton is that there is actually an entire booth here dedicated to First. And I'm standing here with Gloria, a member of
3: Power Stackers Robotics, an FTC team.
1: And these guys have home-built robots running around, doing tasks, trying to solve problems. Tell us a little bit more about what FIRST is.
3: So there's the four levels of FIRST. Um, There's the Junior FLL, the FLL, the FTC, and the FRC. Um, uh, Every um, level has a different challenge that they have to do in building robots or mechanisms that have to work. And um, they have to have fun doing it and learn engineering and... um, usually they involve their community and outreach and all kinds of stuff like that.
1: So tell us, what are the problems that your team is working on this year?
3: Um, Well, our season actually just ended. We went to San Antonio and competed. um, But last season, uh, we had a challenge cascade effect. So we had to um, pick up the balls. There were two different size balls, like wiffle balls and golf balls. And we had to create a robot that would pick them up and drop them in tubes. There are are three tubes, the 30-centimeter, the 60-centimeter, and the 90-centimeter. And then at the end of the match, we would try and um, pick up the tubes themselves, either by putting them on the ramp or lifting them with our robot.
1: Wonderful. And so at this level, at the FTC range, what is the approximate age range that folks are involved in?
3: It's usually ages 14 to 18, but you, it's, we sort of are lenient. You can be like in middle school, starting like sixth or seventh grade, up until you graduate high school.
1: And what are the kind of different disciplines of skills that you guys employed for these challenges?
3: Um, for our robot, we learn engineering. We have to uh, revise and use the engineering process. We have to program and use uh, 3D CADing. On computers, we use PTC specifically. Um, We do uh, business skills. We have to get our own sponsors and uh, fundraise. I think that's it.
1: Software engineering?
3: Um, Yeah, most of it's for engineering.
1: And electronics?
3: Yeah. We do um, a lot of STEM concept things. So we do the... um, We engineer. We have to um, brainstorm. And the electronics, we do... um, it's actually being revised next year. Uh, we usually use Robot C to program, uh, but next year we're using Java, so we're gonna have to learn that this summer.
1: Outstanding. And having, how long have you been participating?
3: Uh, this is, I think, gonna be my fifth year in first.
1: And w- how has this shaped what you're gonna do next?
3: Um, I, I, I actually don't know what I wanna be when I like, grow up like as a career, but I have actually started to think about I might wanna be like an engineer. think i would enjoy doing that
1: if it makes you feel any better i haven't decided what i want to be when i grow up either Um, i think what you guys are doing is great and uh i want to thank you guys for coming to dayton and helping get the message out if one of our listeners wanted to know more about first as an organization where would they go
3: um for first in general you can go to usfirst.org um that's like the whole first website um you can also probably ask any team in your area they'll be happy to tell you about it um we have a website and an email and all kinds of stuff, too. Um, probably, I mean, we're pretty out there, so just power stackers will give you any information if you need to know, and probably the DRSS teams as well. If they if you need any information, we're always happy to help.
1: Now, you had mentioned that you also learn about community outreach. Talk about some of the things you do with that.
3: Um, well, actually, uh, at Hamvention, we count this as an outreach, so we have to um, get in uh, communication with all kinds of um leaders and people setting up, uh, different events. So like we do the tech fest, we do, um, hamvention. We were at uh, space fest yesterday at the air force museum. We do outreaches at schools and, um, we go to all, a lot of our, uh, sponsors. So like we've gone to UES, a company around here and the Dayton children's hospital, stuff like that.
1: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for what you guys do. And thank you for talking to FOTIME.
3: You're welcome.
1: Thank you for your time as well. So last year at Dayton, we walked around and kept asking why, why, why aren't people taking modern, smart, and tablet technologies, attaching them to radios and making them available to everyone. Well, I'm standing here with a man who is trying to answer that question. Chris, KD2BMH for Algoram Radio, the founder of the White Box Radio. How are you doing?
20: I'm doing great. How are you guys doing?
1: Doing great. Why don't you tell us a little bit about, about white, Excuse me. what White Box Radio
20: is? Okay, so I was going backpacking many years ago, and or about three years ago, and I, I brought my first smartphone with me. And I didn't really know much about hams at the time, but I'm a computer engineer by trade. So I had my smartphone, I'm in the backcountry, and I'm an Eagle Scout, and I'm wondering why I can't use my phone in my emergency preparedness mode if I broke my leg or something. So I came back and I started researching and figuring out uh, what, what we would need. Was it a technical limitation? Was it a political limitation? And I stumbled upon the amateur radio crew, and in particular this group called Tapper, Tucson Amateur Packet Radio Network. And they, uh, they connect. They're the people who make software-defined radio. A lot of the cutting-edge software-defined radio tech come from them. They also invented this thing called the terminal node controller back in the day that kind of is in part of all of our cell phones. So I started talking with them and uh, started building devices. I'm now on my third year working on it. And uh, the architecture is really based on how a smartphone works. I love to rip apart smartphones and see what's going on on the inside. So in your phone you actually have two computers. There's one that's called the application processor that's running Android or iOS, and that's really a solved problem. You can go to Texas Instruments and you can buy a package from them, and it's got all the parts, you know, and you can just throw it in whatever. But the cell baseband modem is completely locked down, and it's owned by Qualcomm, you know, or it's owned by Samsung, and we can't use them on the handbands, and we can't put big amplifiers on them. So I decided to make my own open source baseband modem that was aimed at amateur market. So we're on the third generation now. The first two were very prototyping, just on the bench. Uh, none of them had amplifiers, but the new design has a 100 milliwatt amplifier on it. It has four bandpass filters. It operates from 15 megahertz to 1,000 megahertz. and So you can slide in the bandpass filters for whichever band you're interested in and it's running a small embedded UC Linux system. So uh, the new one has USB on the go, you can plug in sound cards, you can plug in Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, GPS units. The idea is that you can use your phone, for the foreseeable future, use your phone as the interface to access the radio. So you connect to the radio as a Wi-Fi access point when you're on the go, and then you open up a web browser and you can just talk right into the web browser. We use WebSockets and the Web Audio API. So, you know, we're trying to mix together modern, you know, software tech that the younger generation knows about and mash it with the older stuff that the ham guys have been in charge of. But I want the ability to have a big amp on my smartphone and take it in the backcountry. So that's kind of the idea.
1: Outstanding. So basically what we have here on the table is a unit that's about maybe uh, three by two decks of cards standing together and you just basically plug a smart device into it.
20: That's right yeah so it's uh, it's six inches by three inches by one inch tall. That's the current design. We can shrink it down even smaller but I'm um, using the, the smallest available parts that you can actually use with a contract manufacturer like that you can easily get availability with. We do want to ultimately make a device that you know, fits in your pocket that looks like a smartphone, but has an HT antenna sticking out and a nice five-watt amp. But it's going to take us, you know, a couple more generations to get there. But the hardware is now at a point where people could really start to mess with it. You know, it's totally open source. You can build on top of it, uh, and you know, we're looking for collaborators. People are interested, uh, and you know, it's going to be coming out in the next couple of months. So you should stay on top of it and keep in touch.
1: Oh, we've been watching. You guys, uh, the videos that I've seen online that you guys have done and the stuff from Dayton last year have been wonderful. Um, How do you power the box?
20: So the the new device can be powered from 6 volts up to 26 volts. So you could use four AA batteries all the way up to putting it, you know, attaching it right to the fuse box in your car and power it off of the 12 volt battery there. It has the proper input protection so that way you can have the alternator, you know, right on the same line as it. And, you know, so that's the idea. What I've learned over the past few years is that the smartphone has a 3.7 volt battery inside of it. And that's just not powerful enough to handle a big amplifier. So we need to go to bigger bigger power, you know, that's, that's expected and... Uh, You know, we'll figure out how to fit it in the right form factor, but for now, uh, it's kind of choose your own adventure of how you'd like to turn this into, you know, I'd love to see what people are going to do with it.
1: Outstanding. And you said a couple of months.
20: What is the price point looking like it might be? We're looking at $500 per unit. We're we're actually going to take a cut on our margin to get it out there at the beginning. That's like the price when we make thousands, but it's a new design, so you know, we, we need to vet the, the RF portion and design validate it and have people break it. And, you know, we're looking for who wants to mess with this. We're going to know the call signs of everyone who buys these and we'll remember you guys and we'll be working with you to figure out what are all the issues and, you know, replacement hardware, whatever, to get everybody the right gear to really play with this and have a lot of fun.
1: So in the first commercial product, are you going through FCC certification or is this more going to be like test equipment experimental class?
20: So we are not going to put this in the chamber to get FCC certified right now, but it was completely designed to meet all of the FCC specs. There's actually not much in terms of amateur radio FCC specs. I mean, we're supposed to be building our own gear, but it we did on this design make sure that we could hit... 60 decibels down on all spurious emissions so that way you can power it with over 25 watts so we we're pairing it with a 30 watt amplifier uh, on the, on the um, demonstration right here from East Down Microwave. We want to build our own amplifier that can cover the entire range of frequencies that the board's capable of but that's a whole other project and we figured we get this out the door it has 100 milliwatts so it has enough to drive something bigger, uh, you know, there's always more to do, but it, this seems compelling enough to get into the market.
1: Well, that sounds awesome. I, uh, I know we've been watching this product for, or project for a while, and we're really looking forward to seeing it come out. If we wanted to know more,
20: where do we go online? There's a couple places. Probably the best is um, my partner and I now have a website called algoram.com. That's A-L-G-O-R-A-M, and we have a blog up there. I also have my GitHub repo, all the source code, all the schematics, uh, all the FPGA code, everything's available for you to fork, play with. There's tons of tests and simulations and many cool things to look at. I have a Facebook page, but I'll admit I'm the techie. I'm not the best at updating things. So I would I would stick with the algorithm uh, thing. If you're very interested in early adopter hardware, you can go on my website for the radio project, which is linked from Algoram, and I have a place to enter your email address, and those are the first people who will be notified when we are ready to start shipping boards.
1: Outstanding. Well, we look forward to talking to you again next year. are really looking forward to this coming out, and uh, we'll check back. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you.
0: Jeremy, we really appreciate you giving us your three-day adventure at the Hamvention 2015. Thanks for the updates throughout the weekend, for driving back and forth, for giving me some excellent material to share here with the listener. I didn't have to do any editing. Jeremy sent me clean files every single night. The pictures, dude, we just genuinely appreciate you sharing that with us. Uh, I think you had some drivers and some helpers along as well, so thanks to those guys. I'm not going to call them out on the air. But we really appreciate them. We appreciate MTC Radio for showing up at Dayton as their first-time vendor. And, uh, Richard, congratulations on the big, big sales days. And if you guys thought I was country, go back and listen to Richard one more time. right? Well, that's how it is in Texas, I guess. You guys, we appreciate you listening. We appreciate you sharing along with your friends, the Time Podcast, reviewing the program on your favorite listening application. You can also comment on this and any other episode on the comment tab right there at the very top of the show notes page. We'll be back in just a couple of weeks. We've got a DMR episode coming up along with the DLP Digital Coaxial Cable Manufacturers we're going to be chatting with as well. So guys, stay tuned. Thank you again for listening. God bless you. We'll catch you next time, 73, y'all.
2: Thanks for downloading, listening, and subscribing to AmateurRadio15.com presents Bowtime, the other ham radio podcast. You can find our past episodes, web links, and more at AmateurRadio15.com. That's AmateurRadio15.com. Follow us on Twitter at Fauxtime Podcast. And remember to visit our show sponsor, Maine Trading Company, at MTCRadio.com. Till next time, 73s.